Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hollywood RX. The doctors are in. Those, of course, being Dr. D on the other end of this and yes. myself, Dr. G. How are you, Dr. D? I'm fine. I feel like I said yes in a sort of clownish fashion, but I am uh, I am uh, tickled pink to be here and very excited to talk about today's movie, uh, The Shape of Water. Yes, The Shape of Water. Let's preface, I'm going to preface the conversation yes. by saying that I unfortunately saw it after it had won Best Picture. Oh, you okay. probably saw it back when it was current and hip and... um yes i did see i saw it actually like between christmas and new year's oh okay i had my uh, 19 year old son was insistent that i see it he was uh he just was transported by it and uh almost oversold it i say almost and then i recently watched it again knowing that we were going to talk about it because i wanted to be a little fresher in my mind than uh it would have been uh, and and then as I as I sat there I went no 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 I remember so much of this so anyway it all it all worked out well okay good so I'm just gonna do my little quick take at the start and then I'll hand it back to you it's very short sure and then I'll do my quick take and then we'll good. Uh... we'll launch into it this is this is my this is sort of my elevator pitch of my quick take hit it this is the love story that La La Land wanted to be. That is not the elevator pitch I would have. But oh, no. okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I turn it over to you. I found it alternating between exquisitely beautiful and unbelievably frustrating. <laughs> well, just like working with me. Or me. <laughs> or you, for that matter. Yes. Yeah, no, I thought this fit in perfectly with Guillermo del Toro's what do you want to call it? His alternate universe is this sort of adult fairy tale mm-hmm. continuum that started with the devil's backbone and then Pan's labyrinth and then wasn't around for a long time. And now it's back. Right. There, there, there were a lot of things that were really fantastic and dreamlike and otherworldly and in the best of ways, fantasy in the best of ways. And I, but at the same time, I felt like it, it, for as as many of the details as it got right, it generalized a lot of other things and was a little not as f- far fleshed out as I thought it would be. I also have to say up front yes. that um, I, like I generally have an aversion to what I call the guy in the rubber suit movies. Mm, yes. Okay. They all become... Plan 9 from Outer Space for me, ultimately. And I spend actually more time, like rather than looking at the eyes and getting, you know, the soul of the character from the performance, what I end up doing more often is looking at elbows and knees and trying and ankles, trying to find those unintended folds in the rubber. Right. So to that ruin, I can say, aha, you see, that's why you don't do it. Wow. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm now a little more nervous about this conversation. Oh no! No, 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 no! I really, I, I, I mean, I really liked it in a lot of ways. I mean, I like it. Okay, I should have said. Sorry, it transcended guy in the suit 
syndrome. Oh, oh okay, okay, good, good. Uh, yeah, I mean, you really yeah. sounded like you were you were chiding it. No, no, no. That, that's my normal. That is my normal mo. When it comes down to someone in a suit, I mean, I really, I mean, part of me wishes that they had done uh, Andy Circus, that they brought him in and did like the the motion capture, but uh, not so much. It worked for a lot of the other reasons because I love the sound that they gave him for the, the voice mm-hmm. that 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 gill like clicking. Right. But you know, he was a little too human form. I kind of wanted a little more. I wanted more body webbing. That he kind of looked like one of those flat, slimy, bottom-feeding fish, almost. Right. I was I was thinking about that on the second viewing here, but on the first one I didn't. Well, I think I think we've cut way through your 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 uh, short take. So, well, yeah, let's just dig dig into it. I mean, I, I sort of took it because, without having read it exactly, I went, "Oh, this is the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's what this guy is." And so I just thought this is a modern execution of that makeup. Oh, I see. I was thinking like to me, I was thinking that it was almost like a continuation. Like, okay, this is what happened when they caught him and dragged him back to the mainland U.S. Right. Even so, I wasn't holding it to a standard of being like what you were just saying, sort of a further development of it. It really was seemed like the same, essentially the same character, but again, executed in a much more uh, with much greater finesse and grace yeah definitely i was happy just to stare at him and to look at the detail in the skeletal structure and to look at the detail on the surface of the skin or the whatever that makeup was yeah and and also not be able to and go where does the practical suit end and and where is there some cgi going on i mean are those eyes practical that second lid yeah i don't know i don't know but that was uh, that was incredibly well done too i liked that there was so much attention paid to touching him other characters you mm-hmm. know making a point of feeling them with their hands and, and reacting to it i like absolutely absolutely um yeah you touched on a little bit of um on del toro's uh, work. He came to my attention first with Pan's Labyrinth. You were saying Devil's Backbone. Is that something I should find and catch up with? Absolutely it is. That's his, I okay. think, second or third feature film. His first was a movie called Kronos about these little mechanical blood-sucking spiders mm-hmm. in Mexico City that that kind of had some buzz. I mean, that had buzz already. Like, out of the gate, he was... Right. Notice. But then he also did Mimic, that thing with Mira Sorvino. Yes, I do actually sadly remember that very well. I can't remember he, if he, he did. directed I, that? Yes, he did. I can't remember. Yeah, he directed it. But, but, you know, but I think that it was kind of like the, uh, you know, like, welcome to American studio filmmaking kind of thing. Like, I'm not sure to what extent right. that was something he really, you know, like a passion project or something. Devil's Backbone, I can't remember if that was before or after Mimic, but that was... That's the first one that starts this kind of uh, almost uh, Tim Burton aesthetic of of adult, a child's fantasy, illustrated fantasy book come to life in a very ornate way with these almost, I mean, this film had almost like a Jules Verne or H.G. Wells kind of feel to it in the production yes. design. It had yes. like this... It was like leftover from the 30s, very big nuts and bolts, 
machinery. Yes. You know, but it was very clearly, uh, you know, the early 60s, 1962. Mm-hmm. And it, it felt it too, in that sense. Absolutely. Um, okay, so Devil's Backbone, then he fools around with uh, studio fodder doing Blade 2. Mm. And it isn't until 2004 that he hooks into Hellboy. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. That even precedes Pan's Labyrinth by two years. Oh, really? Oh, I that's... Yeah. I don't remember it that way. Yeah, I don't either. But I wasn't... But Hellboy wasn't like regi- like a blip on my radar. You know what I mean? Like, it right. was like I saw an right. obnoxious commercial and just didn't think twice about it. <laughs> right. So sort of his movies, like movies for him, are 2001 Devil's Backbone. And then it isn't until 2006 he makes... Pan's Labyrinth, but there's a couple of you know stinkers in between in, in between there. But I think I think Hellboy manages to um, straddle the line between his very particular way of executing and and world creation, but also with being within a, a studio machine hmm. and having more of a studio feel to it, because there's a there's a trackable story that's like it or not slightly more predictable than something like Pants Labyrinth or whatever. And then from from, from then, he's kind of slips to me more back into studio stuff. Yeah. With, uh, Hellboy 2 and Pacific Rim and Silent Hill and, you know, Crimson Peak was a horror film, but it didn't necessarily shout to me the way this did. Where is the orphanage in here? I thought he was involved with something called the orphanage does that ring a bell for you that does not ring a bell for me neither did hellboy 2 but that's besides the point i didn't realize they made a sequel it doesn't surprise me gotcha. but I didn't oh yeah no they, they yeah they totally did um in fact there's going to be a reboot of the whole franchise and good god sure. who who is it going to be now or is ron perlman going <laughs> to just pick it up and keep doing no it? no it's not ron perlman and i can't remember who it is off the top of my head i'll come up with it later no, he produced or executive produced a, a mm. horror film called The Orphanage, which was quite good. Hmm. He also executive produced something called Splice that you right, might remember from a couple of years ago, which was like a um, interesting in this conversation. It was like a human human genes were combined with the genes of other creatures or aliens or something, whatever it was. It's a fun, sick movie. Hmm. Uh, about you know two scientists who get a little too involved, a little too attached to this creature they create, that isn't does is more than it appears to be, you know that sort of thing. Right. But he seems to have a lot of he has tons of executive uh, producing credits that go beyond his writing and directing. Anyway, I really like him as a director. I like him as a writer. I like him in a lot of different ways. So I was quite happy to see him nominated to see him getting attention for this and then ultimately to <clears throat> to winning this oscar this most recent uh, accomplishment well you know speaking of ron perlman there were yes. there were a, there was there were a small handful of movies i was thinking of while i was watching this uh-huh. obviously pan's labyrinth was one of them yeah but uh ron perlman was in a french film called the city of lost children oh yes I think it's I know that very one. much, very Talk about like it aesthetically, bit. very much like this movie. This kind of like fairy tale, like an adult fairy tale. This this mm-hmm. sort of storybook sensibility, but in a really dark and like somehow vintage kind of way. Which is, I mean, I'm thinking of it in a good way in comparison yeah. to this movie. What was that called again? 
The City of Lost Children. The City of Lost Children. All right, I'm going to put a pin in that for a second. I'm going to tell you that the actor starring in the new Hellboy movie coming out in 2018, just with the name Hellboy, it's a reboot, I guess, is David Harbour. Vaguely familiar? Well, you saw him in seasons, most recently, I think, in seasons one and two of Stranger Things. Hmm. He was the cop. Oh, no! Yeah, that was my reaction, too. <laughs> no, but you know what? Oh, that no. that may be that may be what maybe maybe he, that's the way he needs to go. Maybe. Like he needs to he maybe he needs so. a, he needs a Beauty and the Beast TV show. Right, he does. right. Instead uh, of like where he's not playing a human being, I have to say though that City of Lost Children is the movie that won me over to Ron Perlman. Oh, really? Because I I pointedly disliked him up until that movie. Hmm. And then he then he got me. And so then like when he appeared later in something like Drive, it was he wasn't overcoming anything for me. If anything, he was transcending. I don't know where I found him, but I mean, like where he first came to my attention. But I have been fond of him for a very long time. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure I watched him in Beauty and the Beast because he I believe he played the Beast. Oh, no, 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 no. That was Linda Hamilton. He played the beauty. Of course he was the beast. Ah, <laughs> <You laughs> uh, well played, sir. I'm, looking, I'm just Thank looking you. at some of this City of Lost uh, Children, and I think I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen it, so I'll have to... It was by, by uh, Junot and Carré, a French duo who aren't a duo really anymore, but um, okay, Junot... Gotcha. Yeah, directed... Uh, what was it? Alien... Four something, and then he did the. Um, nah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. something <laughs> French? It doesn't matter. Oh, Delicatessen! He did Delicatessen. Yes, they both did Delicatessen. Yes, that was their yes, first which I movie loved. as a duo. Oh, okay. I, you know, I was afraid to mention it. I was like, ah, oh, no, no one remembers Delicatessen. I probably wouldn't have known it if you'd said it. But seeing the poster, I absolutely remember laughing at that so much. And uh, Amalie. Yes, that's right, Anomaly. So yeah. you've got to see City of Lost Children, and so do you listeners, every single one of you listening right <laughs> Good. now. Good. Well, that's uh, that's so cool to come across this recommendation, a little missed. It's funny how you just have these missed gaps in places. Yeah. So I uh, lost track of where I was mentally. We'll yeah, on. we'll circle back to the point of the show. Yes. The Shape of Water. Um, <laughs> I... I, All right, so I, listen, I think it was I'm really great in. and a lot I think I think there were a lot of really great things about it. It was I mean it was obviously beautiful to look at and even just soak in. But it was stunning from the first image from the yes, credits. Yes, the whole credit sequence it, you, was great. It was dreamy yeah. and gorgeous and 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 breathtaking and otherworldly. Yeah. There's such a truth. Yeah, they, you know, like when you realize first it's not a tank but it's this you know, a normal house, but things, right, but it's, right. but nothing is destroyed. Everything is just like the water slowly rose and everything's remained in place except for the big furniture. You know, there's something almost primal about that, that about mm-hmm. being, no, he, 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 I think he, he has a knack for that because that's all over because that same instinct is in uh, Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, absolutely that he um 
Gosh, gosh. Okay, so we were talking about the images. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, no, just I deferred to you. But all, all, all through the whole thing. No, the cinematography, the angles, the the lighting, everything. The all of the art direction, all of the all of those other departments were just coming together beautifully yeah. with this this uh, world creation. And I think ninety percent of it was was a set. You know, oh, yeah. uh, or a series of sets. That whole, the whole, uh, the Orpheum and the, the all of those exteriors. Yeah. Um, I think the interior. I know the interior of the theater was an actual movie theater, although they could easily have built it. They didn't. Um, and I'm sure the stuff by the docks and the water and some of these other things. You know, those bigger exterior right. shots. Absolutely, I thought it was just lyrical the whole time. Yeah. And. Good word. Yeah, lyrical. And I think. That, that Sally Hawkins did a phenomenal yes, job. Yes, she did. I think I think the balls on anyone to go, okay, I'm going to make my hero mute mm. is fantastic. Yeah. Good for you yeah. for just going, I'm not going to do the regular thing. I'm going to do this other thing. Yeah. And then she got to play that incredible character off of a bunch of tremendous actors. But in particular, it has to, Doug Jones has to fucking bring it. And the two of them together have to be able to carry this movie because if it doesn't work between her and the and the and the fish man, the Aquaman, then the whole thing falls apart. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I no 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 no. I honestly okay. did not. I wasn't I wasn't convinced of the two way relationship. Oh wow! Okay. It's not, I guess, really a fault of jones who i don't know i mean i a lot of people i talk to are very excited like get very excited when you mention doug jones and i'm uh-huh. and i'm like well um okay i don't know i was so maybe i was so distracted by the cut by the suit that i uh didn't quite get i mean i got the eyes and everything but i don't know i, w- I didn't get a sense of a personality behind all that okay okay and and i i I, I also hate to say this i really hate to say this but you know another movie that i kept thinking of with this you're gonna hate me for saying it oh no enemy mine (laughs) oh my god i'm so glad you said those two words yeah man Uh, yeah, I'm great. sorry. Whenever yeah, I love well. the sound that he made <laughs> when they were trying to, you know, vocalize. But uh, whenever he opened his mouth, I'm like, "Hey, Lou Gossett Jr.'s back! Check it out!" Oh my god! Yeah, I oh went there. God. Den- Den- what is it, Dennis yeah, Quaid? I went there. Lou Gossett I did. Jr. Now, are you are you specifically bringing that up because you recall my reactions to that movie? Or just because you know... Oh, no. I don't remember your specific reactions to that movie. Oh, okay. Because my specific reactions to the movie, uh, well, in a larger sense, are that it is a a guilty pleasure of mine. I haven't seen it since it was first out. but And I knew that it was horrible, but kind of loved it anyway. Uh (laughs) Wow. So I thought you were sort of... Throwing it in my face. Oh no 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 no! I mean literally. All these years later, falling for another man in a row. No, I'm I'm saying I'm saying <laughs> as soon as, like you put up this this might this might be the image for the show, for for, for the posting of the show. But you put a close yeah. up of Doug Jones in this movie of 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 the asset, 
and right. Lou Gossett Jr. from Enemy Mine. <laughs> it's it's separated at birth time. Right, right. Well, you you are correct. They are, uh, to my recollection, they are kind of structurally similar, s- shall we say? S- s- yeah, in the in the certainly in the facial area, the same genus. Um, but this, we were, yeah, we were we were doing a jumping off on Doug Jones. You were saying a lot of people were very excited about him. I I sort of count him in this type of role, and basically all of his work that's associated with uh, Guillermo, mm-hmm. uh, specifically. Uh, the Hellboy stuff, but also Pan's Labyrinth. He, to me, is shoulder to shoulder in this sort of off the beaten path category with Andy Serkis. Oh, really? Who I think is a is a, a genius and a and a pioneer. Andy Serkis. Yeah. Doing this kind of acting that other people, you know, they're light years behind him in terms of catching up with with that technology. And I feel like there's there's no one holds a candle to Doug Jones with regards to playing these characters where he doesn't get to use the crutch of a voice, but is just expressing a large amount in a physical way. Oh, I did. I you know I I never paid attention to him to before. I will way. go. I I will now because I've seen Pan's Labyrinth, but. Right. No, it's him. The, 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 you know, those palms with the, with the eyeballs on it, that's Doug Jones. Okay. And he does other stuff in that, in that movie as well, I believe. Anyway, I'm a very big fan of his and I felt like the byplay between them. I know it didn't quite resonate with you, but I did, I did feel it particularly on the second viewing. I felt it even more so just sort of the, I mean, in some ways he's just like a pet or a dog getting to know a master Yeah. that it doesn't know, but I feel like it does eventually sort of go beyond that. And by the time they're, you know, in the clinch with one another and and hugging each other, I'm not shocked. It seems like a natural progression from where they were. It did seem like a natural progression, yes. As natural as an unnatural thing can appear to be. That is the the strongest thing. That's actually, that's on a par with the visuals, if not better, is is the fact that it did make that feel like a very natural progression and it wasn't done in a way that was disturbing like you were anticipating it was like oh it's they're gonna do right. it well and i'll tell you what I'll it tell you what. wasn't it Stop was actually okay here's what i was gonna say what was disturbing was watching michael shannon on top of his wife yes it was and as was virtually her mouth yes that is, um, that's a very, so that's a very good, yeah, I was, that was definitely the, the most shocking saw... thing in the movie for me was, I've seen his ass. Fucking. <laughs> yes. I, was, I didn't see that, that coming. No. It wasn't just that it was his ass. It was that there was, there was no love in that. They were married and they were humans mm. and they were straight. Well, let me tell you something. I've, I've been chomping at the bit all this time. Mm. Actually, since I saw it, I've been chomping at the bit. To tell you on the air. Yes. What a complete reversal this movie did for me with Michael Shannon. Because holy cow, did he blow me away in this movie. (laughs) I never disliked him. I never disliked him, but I always kind of felt like he was just a little too wooden and monotone. That, and I didn't know if it was him or it was the director at the mo- at, of whatever it was that he gotcha. was in at that moment was was just sort of being coy with the characterization. But in this, I felt like, 
Whoa. Hmm. He was fantastic. He was so fantastic. This And this rarely happens for me. But yeah. I was dissatisfied with how he got his in the end. Wow. I was like, no, no. You got off easy. I wanted that cattle prod shoved up his ass. I, <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, I can't begin to tell you. Oh. Wow. What I had such a reaction to. Okay. So yeah. now we're going to get into a whole other like galaxy when it comes okay. to this movie. All right. I real okay. I thought this movie did a great job of character details, and Shannon was just he was just amazing. He was a force in this, but you know, there are two scenes, one of which involves Michael Shannon. The other one we'll mm-hmm. probably get to later, but there are two scenes in the movie that I had like an almost physical reaction to in terms of like not liking the scene and where it was going. Yeah. And that's the scene where he busts into Octavia Spencer's house. Yeah. Because I was struggling with what my reaction would be as her husband. Yes. And what the on-screen husband's reaction was. Right. And it I Oh, I like I, I almost stood up and shouted like I almost became black. I almost stood up and shouted at the screen, shaking my fist and saying, no, you. I'm, yeah, I. was right. oh. But yeah, Michael Shannon was like just shockingly good in this movie. Yes. Hold on. I want to stop on that scene. I think because we are the we are the uh, the Hollywood uh, doctors, right? Yes, we are. This this that scene needs some RX. First of all, yeah. you got to cast somebody who's way better than the guy you cast. I know you got to save money. I know you can't have everybody be a headliner, but that guy has to be better than than he was. Even if you're just going to have him do that. <clears throat> the scene suffers because we've never met him before. We've only heard her reference him. Right. And so I feel like it might have it might have squeaked by if we had some kind of reference for him already. But here's what he I think he needs to be. Yeah. He needs to be a scary motherfucker. A scary that, but that lazy Michael motherfucker Shannon, that Michael Shannon could just put in his place and break him. So you mean someone like through attitude. You you mean someone like Tiny Lister? Yes, or well, even if it's like just say a Sam Jackson, whatever. Somebody who you see as who who comes in with fierceness, but who can be overwhelmed by Michael Shannon. If you give him a soft target, that's no good. Yeah, that's very and true. And also, it it also makes her bigger if her 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 you should pardon the expression her gorilla of a husband gets taken apart by this guy and gets broken. But she never does. It makes her stronger. Right. If her husband's a fucking Pillsbury Doughboy, what the fuck difference is it? <laughs> yes, that so, is true. I believe that the the concept of what those three characters needed to be was wrong. And you can still have him be a lazy. You can still have right. the other stuff that you want him to be. Right. But the guy when he stands up has to be bigger and more menacing and more frightening. And are you sure he you yeah, sure whatever. he wasn't physically taller than Michael Shannon or is Michael Shannon like a it, giant? It didn't, it, 
uh, well, I just mean that I needed to feel his immensity and the character as it was designed and as it was yeah, played. Yeah, fair enough. Was a was a milk toast. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so I think that might have made that that scene crackle a little because I hated it both times I saw the movie. Yeah, and I'd forgotten about it going into it, and then he's at her door, and I went, "Oh fuck." And you can see, like, when you watch the scene, they completely cut around that guy. They don't show him until he stands up. They Almost they don't show his face. It's almost like they wish he wasn't there. Yeah, and that's true. Well, what, what I objected to was that the way the character is referenced before, and then when we see him when the doorbell rings, when there's a knock at the door, it, it's sort of shticky. Because she's been complaining yeah. about how he doesn't do anything. So then, like, okay, now we're in her home, and we see him there from the back, sitting in the chair, and he's like, mm-hmm. go get the door. You know, like, it's sort of like, meh, you know, I don't know. It, it I, I think I think it, it sort of goes in with what you said. I mean, I guess that would have worked better if they had had someone like Tiny Lister, someone who was really right. imposing instead of right. the teddy bear. But let's not forget, this is the scene in which the man tears his dead fingers off. Yeah, that was... Spoiler, spoiler, flesh alert. That was just stunning to me. Oh, did yeah. That, did it lose you? Did you go with it? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm with you. No, 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 no. I was like... And what I didn't notice, what I didn't notice the first time I saw it was that when he does that pull, there's like a pulse of blood under that gauze. Like it doesn't spray out on the, you know, the hand side. It bursts under the gauze up the gauze, like up the hand. Oh, you know, I uh, that's I, I probably noticed that the the next viewing, but no, I was yeah between yeah. squirming and, and just <laughs> with your eyes closed, it's hard to notice it. Yeah, right. With one eye open, and yeah. gagging. But what a what a brilliant idea to have this character uh, have this flaw that starts very near the introduction of the character, and that slowly he is rotting because that man is rotting. Yeah, no. And it's it was such a great ex- external manifestation of what's yeah. going on inside him. And that when he tears it off, you know that all bets are off. He's just, now he's in, in animal mode. Yeah. It's uh, it's fantastic. Um, he he really, uh, he was really, he was quite a force Yeah, in this movie. His character, I think, might have also, might possibly have been more detailed. And fleshed out than mm-hmm. than than Eliza's, than than yeah. I, I definitely feel like there was so much love and detail poured into her world, her immediate world, that then slopped over onto the Richard Jenkins character. And, you know what I mean? Because yeah. he had he had a great a, a great deal of detail as well. Yes, he did. But then the further you got away from Eliza herself, the more it uh, the kind of the less detailed and kind of more generic or general it became in a way hmm. so we've talked a little bit about those who haven't talked about richard jenkins yet and i know i've said this before but i'll say it again this is an actor who i've followed since i was in high school watching <laughs> him in local local plays oh. at the at the repertory theater where was that and even then he was like this is in rhode island Ooh. i was in a like an acting magnet and we would go see the shows at the rep <sighs> Like maybe we were just watching rehearsals or something. I don't know, or run-throughs or something. But it was so cool even then to see this guy who was like just a star in a in the in a group of you know twelve or eighteen other adults. Yeah, he really he really stood out, and I've had a soft spot for him. So I'm thrilled to see him get work anytime he gets work. And he's done a couple things 
um, where he got to be, or at least one thing, where he got to be center stage. I just want to find it quickly. Because you almost always see him as the, you know, the extra guy here, or the person. Right. That's day. that's how I always knew him, and I I feel like yeah, feel like like wow, this is this is this is the role he was born to play. He was really good. Right. If you want to see him front and center, there's a movie called The Visitor from 2007, which I thought was going to be the one that really got him attention. Um, a, a college professor travels to New York City to attend a conference and finds a young couple living in his apartment. Uh, and they are uh, not in the country legally. And so it's how the relationship develops between he and these two. And it's just a really, it's it's a hmm. relatively set modern day for when it was shot. Of course, now that's 10 years ago. And it's just a very human story. One of these small things that probably played in half a dozen theaters for a week and a half. And then went its, uh, went its merry way. But definitely worth looking at for him to see more of him do his thing. Um, and he was he was heartbreaking in this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, really a beautiful, nuanced performance from him. Yes. Uh, very well crafted. Since you brought that up, you know, I don't want to say that the movie was historically inaccurate in its okay. portrayal of what was so uh, of social norms and what was considered deviance back in the day. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it, the movie did kind of feel a little bit like, Oh, the hand of 20th century consciousness. It felt a little too neatly checking off a lot of boxes. I can, I can hear that. It's like, well, you know, I mean, thank goodness, thank goodness that black couple came into the into the diner, so that right, so that so that so that Jenkins didn't have to get the full brunt of the rejection. He could he could sort of take out a little bit of anger on them, you know. But right, but lest right. we, you know, but as long as we understand that most of those people hate both groups, right. Well, when you say those people in this context, I was worried about who you were referring to, but uh, absolutely. I mean, I did I did feel there are a couple of places where I feel the writing lets itself down. And that was one of them where the two of them enter. Yeah, because it's just so conveniently timed. Yeah. To now make this guy, you know, not that he wouldn't have been a racist, whether they walked in or not. Right. But it just felt like too easy a way to end the scene. Yeah. Um, although it did lead to one, lead to one of my favorite, well, one of my favorite moments. Just a lot of tiny little things. Yeah. But where, <laughs> where Richard Jenkins is actually wiping the pie off, off his, his tongue. tongue. No, that's brilliant. That that that, that was that so he, much better than any yeah. delivery of. And by the way, your pie yeah. sucks. You know. Right. Well, but then, but by that point, see, the pie was always being used from the first scene with him as a a symbol of the guy himself. Right. You know, and so it's like yeah. you dis- and it's it's Richard Jenkins character You leave saying, a bad taste in my me. mouth. You leave a bad taste yeah. in my mouth. Giles Fantastic. or Giles whatever his name is. So I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I love while we're talking about him and the pie. Uh, I wasn't super nuts about the whole little side thing. It was fine because it ended up somewhere really powerful. But she she just can't bear to eat another bite of it in his house. He's like, well, we'll save it for later. And he goes to the refrigerator and there's like, yeah. there's 20 of them in there already. And he's clearly only eaten one bite out of each of them, but then keeps going back and pretending to like the pie. Yeah. Now, here's here's the thing. 
one of the things that I really liked about it, I was talking to my wife as we were watching it, is that he has this little conversation with the guy where he says, the guy says, oh, I know you like the key lime pie. And uh, Giles or Giles, whatever Richard Jenkins' character's name is, he says that it's, it's, it's one of the cravings. It's like a craving I can't control, but it's not good for me like my mm. other cravings. So now he's talking mm. old school, you know, uh, Hayes Code. He's now talking about homosexuality. Right. And the other guy starts starts in. I don't know quite how they get there, but the other guy drops the accent, and then it turns out that he's not really this southern whatever whatever he's pretending to be. As right, he's know, Canadian. Character. He's actually a Canadian. Which uh, forget that it's Canadian. It doesn't matter. I think they shot him in Canada, so it might be a tip of the hat to Canada. But the point is that Richard Jenkins would have had to have been living a life. He was basically closeted you know, 95% mm -hmm. closeted. And so then he's talking yeah. to another guy who, who also has a facade that he's putting on and that, yes. and that I'm sure that Jenkins's character is like, Oh, he's also, he's like me that he yeah. started to yeah. see oh, yeah. as, as gay because this guy admits to having more than one uh, persona. Right. Again, again, a very natural progression. Yeah. Uh, you're right. A in, in, sort in of terms of, of what that character would be feeling yeah. from the little things that we get, it's like, yep, I, I totally bought it that he would make that move right. at that moment. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I just I, I I like I'm just happy. I was I'm always happy to see Richard Jenkins. Well, I'm glad you weren't disappointed. <laughs> yes. Octavia Spencer, I feel similarly that her part was, you know, she had to carry so much of that because sally hawkins doesn't talk so it's like when the disney princess gets a sidekick that doesn't talk and then the disney princess has to exposit everything to the sidekick right and in this case now it's the disney princess is mute which by the way would be a really smart thing for them to do soon is to have a a, a princess that isn't perfect and beautiful is that, who can't speak uh too <laughs> I don't mean that one in particular. And so now we have this sidekick who never stops talking. Right. Um, and, and fills that void, but also helps round out not only her own character in doing so, but the other one's character too. Such a yes. smart move in that regard. And uh, and to have it be a, a proud woman of color is, is terrific. But then it starts checking those boxes you're talking about. Because it's not just, oh, these two people come into the diner at just the right time. We have a diversity checkbox, too, because we've got here's the black lady. Here's a uh, person with a uh, disability or however you want to call that. Here's a gay man. Yeah. Uh, oh, we can double down on oh, the disability see, I... because her she's uh, Spanish. Her last name is Espinosa. And you right. start to have all these. It starts to feel a little bit neat in that way. Right, right. Exactly right. You have like the presumably immigrant uh, cleaning staff. Right. Right. Who is voiceless and has no, you know, say in what goes on. Oh, but you know what? Um, Octavia You know, Spencer. and it's like, well, we got we, we, we got the we got the racism scene. <laughs> we got the anti-gay scene. Yeah, like check, 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 yeah, check, right. check, check, check. Uh, some of it is a little ticky-tack sometimes. There, uh, Octavia Spencer had a great, a great quote. Hang on, let me see if I can friggin' find it. She had a couple of them about this. Well, one, <laughs> one thing she said was that she would, if Guillermo del Toro asked her to play a part, any part, you know, she'd have played the black maid, she'd have played the thing, this, she said, I would have played a desk. If you wanted me to play a desk, I would have done it. 
And I just love hmm. that idea that she's so open to it. Yeah, I would have played a desk if Guillermo del Toro asked me to. What was the other thing I was going to say? I'm going to paraphrase it since I don't know exactly what it was. She, one of the things that she loved about the script when she read it was that the bulk of the dialogue is put into the mouths of a black woman and a gay man in the early 60s at a time when both of those people from both of those categories would have felt very oh. oppressed to say anything at all. And they become Nicely the done. voice of this movie. And I'm like, oh, oh my good God, for that's her. so terrific. Oh, to, good for her. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, good hopefully that points. was the price of admission of waiting for me to think of what she said. But yeah, no, I thought that was uh, that was beautiful uh, of her. Well, gosh, Dr. D, you know, anyone who, you know, <laughs> would have jumped in in the middle of this might think that we love this movie to the stars. So well, what? <laughs> funny you should say that i mean i did yeah. i did touch on a few little things that any yeah. any any things that i have are are largely minor and and one of them I, it's gonna sound like i'm just an asshole looking for something to complain about one little thing this is not me being an asshole i don't think is that i'm not fond of the way he named many of the characters hmm. as in esposito means orphan and uh strictly mm. strict strict, like, strict yeah you know? Octavia Spencer's last name, character's last name is Fuller, and she's being played by a round woman, you know. Mm. Some of that stuff. Very, very minor. Also, Hofstetler is the uh, is Michael St- uh, Stolberg. We didn't even talk about him. I love him. <laughs> and yet, and yet, one of his scenes was one I had pro- I had a little trouble with. Oh, uh, well, let's circle back to that. Um, but uh, he and Michael Shannon both came to my attention on... HBO's uh, Boardwalk Empire. Mm. And that's a place where Michael Shannon doesn't just do one note the way you were sort of thinking of him as being. Okay. Because he has more time and he's in, you know, he has dozens of episodes and dozens of scenes, many dozens of scenes. You get to see him play a lot of different colors. And uh, and Michael, too, in that case. His last name is the same last name as a character on a popular television show. That's easy enough to avoid. And I sort of touched on a couple of scenes that maybe kind of bothered yeah. me a little bit but here's the thing that i had the the sort of biggest problem with and i've sort of danced around it a little bit just in general is that i think that sally and doug jones did such a beautiful job with those characters and they are really i feel like those are full characters doug jones doesn't have a line of dialogue but i feel like he had a very rounded character somehow but I felt like the characters on the page for Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, and Octavia Spencer on the page were not necessarily very well written and that the actors themselves brought so much more to it. Hmm. Okay? And I know that doesn't even sound like a complaint yet. But there's a little icing on the complaint, which is I feel like I've seen Octavia Spencer do variations of Zelda. And Richard yeah. Jenkins do variations of Giles and Michael yeah. Shannon do variations of Strickland. And so I felt like even though all of them did a great job at what they do, it is what they do. And I might have been more excited to see an actor I didn't know could do that, do that. Yeah. Having said that, I watched, you know, my, I was talking to my son and his um, college girlfriend. I don't know why that matters. And neither of them know these actors. So they are all like, oh, my God, they're fantastic. Sure. So they don't have the reference points that I do, right. which then ruins it for me. Right. So it actually is. I'm complaining that it was too perfect. 
what are you complaining about? No, 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 no. That that actually, I, I, I find that to be a very valid, a very valid issue to have. Cool. And and I will say this, and then I'll I'll, I'll lay lay it open for you, which is that between my second viewing and hearing you talk about it, I definitely have raised my already high estimation of this film even a little higher. Oh, nice. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I I'm not uh, I'm not as passionate about my my negatives on this as I am with some other movies. <laughs> However, that being said, yes. You know, for all those boxes they checked off. The one that offended me the most. Oh, yeah. Was the La La Land box. Okay, wait a minute. What's the La La Land box? The fuck? We had this fucking musical scene. Oh, right. (laughs) Oh, man, that was planet killing. Oh, Oh, I wanted to punch the screen. Oh, that's so funny. Because, man, because I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. So yeah, I know. They, I know that they prefaced it by she's got an attachment to old movies and a little knack right. for dancing, if not a burgeoning passion to do so. You know what? That scene would have been <laughs> yeah. ten times as heartbreaking if it started the same and it went down to a spot on her and. All it is is just her scratchy whisper that he doesn't even hear. Mm. Okay, yes. It, 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 it doesn't necessarily... That would have been ten times more powerful than watching them do the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, I think that's from Follow the Fleet. Um, yeah, it's definitely the, yeah. the set from a, from a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. A specific one. I believe it's Follow the Fleet, but I'm not sure. They do it in Pennies from Heaven, also Mm. the Steve Martin movie from 81. That they they recreate that exact uh, it's from, scene. It's Let's Face the Music and Dance is the song from Follow the Fleet, 1936. From Follow the Fleet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, to me that just pulled me out. I was like, oh man, did he get talked into that? Was that like a studio thing? Like, let's not just have like like maybe it did originally play out like I devised it, and then right. someone said, oh, you know, Kaku, wouldn't it be great if they had a if they had a dance number together? I understand with you. I will give you this much. I will give you this much on this point because I don't fully agree with you, but I understand what you're saying. That dance number is the equivalent of the dance number in the middle of several of the musicals that I absolutely love that I hate the most, you know, singing in the rain, which I adore about two thirds of the way through. There's a dance number with the two of them on a soundstage alone. And he gets her up on a, on a ladder and he turns on the uh, fan and it's this, you know, song and they dance around. I hate that number. And uh, similarly in, in La La Land, two thirds of the way through, they do a number that to me, like is a, momentum killer and so it is it was the momentum killer uh dance number that for me usually takes me off the rails in this case it didn't but i totally get what you're saying about how pull it out and let them play it because they're that good even if even if la la land hadn't won even if la la land didn't exist and it didn't win and 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 this thing happened I would have felt the exact same way. Yeah. It just like like I did like I did in if you remember Magnolia. There's a scene in the middle where suddenly all the characters break out of character and sing a song, 
Hmm. Like a musical number, there's like a song that all the characters suddenly like pause where they are. I and think I sing. hated Magnolia so long before that. Moment I think I hated that scene too. That I know, but yes. I, like I hated the, same the movie. Thing. It and I just wasn't even paying broke the spell. Ah, <laughs> uh, broke the spell. Ah, uh, well, okay. Um. All right. So we'll save that one for another day. No, that's fine. But listen, I want to circle back to something you said before, which was like yeah. you wanted to see him die in some other way, and that often happens with me. Like in Black Panther, there's a character that dies, and I wanted to see a much more meaningful or torturous death. And I guess what you said is you wanted to see that 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 electric cattle prod shoved up his shoved up his ass. I did. <laughs> Uh, but short of that, is there something? Because it was never going to go that far. I felt more satisfied by his death this time than I did the last time. Because that death was the death that the character of the Aquaman was capable of bringing. With just who True. he was. He didn't need any implements or anything extra. But he could, he could have held him. Because that was just death came from nowhere suddenly. And it could have been... Well, no, it didn't come from nowhere. They prefaced it by when he grazed Richard Jenkins. No, 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 and, no I and... understand. I mean, in that moment, there, it wasn't like he he grabbed hold of Michael Shannon and then Michael Shannon knew his death was coming and could suffer right. in that moment prior to the death arriving. This was just a right. lightning strike and he was gone and he had we had no time to enjoy him suffering other than the bleed out through his own hand. Right. Oh, and the scene where he's dragging Michael Stahlberg around, Stahlberg around by the face and sticking his finger in the hole in his, the bullet wound in his yeah. stomach. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. I've forgotten about that. Holy Now, moly. I have a question for you. Now, I have a question for you yeah. about that scene because I, I, that was another scene I kind of had a little bit of an issue with. Oh, uh-oh. Do you think that his character went to the extraction point knowing he was going to get bumped off uh, i think he was very suspicious of that fact yes but still went through with it and had no backup precaution if it was going to go down that way he didn't have a, he wasn't packing he didn't uh i feel like he had resigned himself to what it was and that might be more what a spy would do or what people who have you know sacrificed themselves for mother russia or for the fatherland yeah. or whatever is this is the next role that I play, which is to die here on this hill, whatever it might yeah. be. But I agree. It's sort of he, I felt like I wanted him involved in the action at the very end rather than, but no. I, Although I did, I did very much like when he, um, when he took out the, uh, the guard. Yes. And then he, he falls into uh, just the look on Shannon's face where he goes in and the shots he takes at the guy inside the car before he moves on to uh Yeah. To the traitor, to the Russian. Gosh, I loved that little that little bit. I had a couple of trivia things I wanted to touch on quickly, and then I had stuff I'd written down in my phone that I wanted to access. <laughs> I had stuff I wrote down in my head I wanted to <laughs> yes, access. I, yeah. Well, just just to sort of recap, I mean, how many things was this yeah. movie nominated for? How many Oscars? Oh, you know, I I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't around to pay attention to the Oscars oh. uh, and all oh. the the record numbers oh. of this. Okay, first timers well, that just eyeballing it, directing, uh, picture, music, original score. I mean, production design. That's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 
13 in all, including film editing, sound mixing, sound editing, costume design, cinematography, so on and so forth. Best original screenplay. It won for mm. directing, picture, score, and production design, all of which I think were well-deserved. How did you feel about the music? You usually respond to that a little bit more than I do. Well, the music was fine. It didn't, um, it didn't stick out to me as exceptional, nor did it ever detract for me from what was going uh-huh. on. It was a perfect compliment. It wasn't overly romantic. It, it, it had an otherworldliness about it. It, had, it very much, it seemed like it was a, a perfect ambient compliment uh-huh. to the somehow watery <laughs> mise-en-scene, right? the, the whole aesthetic of this movie. It's like, even if something wasn't, wasn't obviously wet, it seemed like it was soaked. Right. Like if you touched right. it, there would be a little, little residual. Yes. Uh, moisture or something coming off of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's a couple quick, uh, very quick trivia type things. Richard Jenkins character was originally written for Ian McKellen. Now, I think Ian McKellen uh, would have been fine in it, but I would not give up what R- Richard Jenkins did to get it. I'm glad it wasn't Ian McKellen because I think the scene in the diner would have felt different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By having an even greater age difference in those two men. Yes. Oh, that's true. They would have had to cast somebody much older in the, as the pie salesman or something. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, when The Shape of Water premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, yeah. the screening was held in the Elgin Theater. I don't know that theater up there, but people who were watching the movie as it unfolded, basically the scene in the movie was shot at the Elgin Theater. So the, at the theater where it premiered is the theater where they shot it. Uh-huh. And so people in the audience ended up seeing the very theater they were sitting in on the screen. And I think that's kind of a cool thing. That is a cool thing. I wonder if the person who sat in the seat of the guy who got the drop of water in his mouth <laughs> realized the significance of his seat. Of his seat. That's a, a good, a very good question. I'm going to do a nonsense one and then a serious one okay. and then I'm done with the trivia here. But now I, I know you, you don't necessarily agree with me about this particular director. Uh-oh. But I've, I've been highly entertained by his podcasts. Um, not so much necessarily by his movies. Oh, I think um, I know where this is going. Yeah. After see after seeing the trailer, Kevin Smith, director Kevin Smith, tweeted, "Seeing something as beautiful as this makes me feel stupid for ever calling myself a director." Oh, well, it I took love, him long enough to I, admit it. <laughs> I love that quote because yeah, the thing he does is not this. I mean, it falls into the same category somehow. But what the, what the thing, what this is, is what, what the difference is, is that Guillermo is an auteur. He's operating on some other level of as director. Right. And um, Kevin Smith is a I, no I tour. The, <laughs> no tour. I like the humility that it showed for him and the ability to recognize greatness uh, in someone not himself. Here's the thing. While I was watching, it, it kept popping into my head both times, but really the second time. I, I hate to say this, but Terry Gilliam kept coming into my head. Oh. Because of, you know, beg, beg the pardon, but Munchausen. The, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. The tales of Baron Munchausen. 
I when I first watched that movie, I, look, it's a horrible fucking mess as far as telling a story is concerned. But I come to expect that from Gilliam in a lot of ways. Oh, but there are so many just fantastic images in that thing, and in Brazil too, oh, yeah. where Gilliam is is absolutely fantastic at creating worlds. Yeah. And then sticking with them, and they feel like whole places that really exist from start to finish. And so I felt like that a lot now. I started to realize that I feel uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro has those same uh, skills, but then he's also much more interested in telling a story that is cohesive and coherent in a, in a way that I find satisfying. Yeah, that's very that's uh, that's spot on. I think. Yeah, I am very spot on. Uh, last little thing on this set of trivia is this is director Gilmore del Toro about Sally Hawkins. Mm. Not, not only was she the first choice, she was the only choice. I wrote the movie for Sally. I wrote the movie for Michael as well. Sally is, I wanted the character of Eliza to be beautiful in her own way, not in a way that is like a perfume commercial kind of way, that you could believe that this character, this woman, would be sitting next to you on the bus but at the same time, she would have luminosity, a beauty, almost magical, ethereal. Hmm. And that is such a perfect description of how she comes off in this movie. Yes, it is. It absolutely that I is. Was completely blown away. Were you aware of her before this? Um, I, I knew of her. I, you know, this is, you know, we usually do this thing. Of, what have we seen this person in before? Um, tell right. me where you first saw her, where she came to your Never. attention. Never. Oh, nope. okay. <laughs> she came to me with Shape of Water. <laughs> Well, she was in uh, Blue Jasmine that not, not that long ago, which I saw but don't remember her from. But I think more importantly, where is it? She was in An Education. The movie came, came out oh. in 2009. Uh, it's a really yeah. good movie. <clears throat> With uh, Carrie yeah. Mulligan was the lead in it. Yeah, but she was yeah, a yeah. second, third, or fourth banana. And it had... Uh, you know, Alfred Molina and uh, who was Peter, S- huh. Peter Sarsgaard. Oh, sure. In it as well. Um, huh. And so that's where I knew I, I've known of Sally Hawkins, Sally Hawkins. Yes. Yeah. Since then, I'm trying to see if I had seen much of her other work. No, not really. I think she works more in Britain than she does here, although that stuff stuff does come over. Oh, speaking of which, while I'm thinking of it, um, Doug Jones, right now, for release in 2018, it's in post-production, he's playing Count Orlock in Nosferatu. Now, come on, dude. That's perfect. I guess, yeah. I, I, I feel like I have to see him like be a human. I don't... Well, he won't even be in that case, but uh, that's just, I think that's going to be fantastic. Yeah? Uh, Who's directing that? Oh, I should know. I was just looking at the his name. It is being directed by David Lee Fisher. Hmm. Does that do anything for you? Oh, no. It co-stars Joe Lee Fisher. I, I've just done a 180 on this. I've just done a 180 on this. In 2005, this same guy directed The Cabin of Dr. Calgary. I'm completely over this now. Uh, so he's fast. just working his way down the list. I just got to remake those classics. That's, it's the only two movies on the list. Uh, David Lee Fisher. Wow. I can't believe how hard I just hit the wall. I can feel it. I can physically feel mm. my disappointment. 
Uh, oh, can I tell you? Name? Can I tell you? Guillermo yeah. del Toro is doing a Pinocchio. I think it's a live action. I'm not sure. Oh, that would be cool. And he's doing uh, something called Nightmare Alley as a director. Those are his two hmm. most directing things. I can't imagine that that has anything to do with the classic film noir, Nightmare Alley. It is a but... remake of that. Get out. Yes, the 1947. Yes, yeah. I was going to say 47. Wow, you're good, man. I only know this because I uh... cheated. You are, you are fucking Speaking good. of Get Out. Yes. That's the movie I think should have won Best Picture of the Year. Well, if anyone listen, I'm listening delighted. at this point cares, I'm uh, yeah, right, exactly. I'm delighted that um, that he got attention as a writer. Certainly, I would like to have seen him get something more than that. Mm. But yeah, I really, really liked that movie. I'm glad to see it's included because I mean, it was a horror movie, man. The fact that it even gets into the group. Yeah, you know what? Twenty years. No one's going to be talking about Shape of Water. No. Get Out will still be relevant. Oh, I can't believe you said that. No, in 20 years, no no one will be talking about The Post. No one will be talking about Dunkirk. Nope. And no one will be talking about uh, the, the, The Darkest Hour. But they, but they will still be talking about uh, Get Out. Get Out will influence filmmaking for that's what yeah that's what i said yeah that's what i said i said yeah in 20 years like get out's going to be more relevant well i don't think it's necessarily going to outlive shape of water i'm disagreeing with that part of it but it's certainly going to be oh really relevant than most of it yeah i'm I'm standing by it but i I appreciate your your passion no 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 no. mark and Dave (laughs) will check in in 20 years yeah we will do that that's what we'll do yeah, we'll do, like, like the way Al Franken used to pop up on Weekend Update every few years with his son. Yeah, that's right. what we're going to do. 20 years, yeah. we'll have like the anniversary <laughs> podcast. I right. told you so, that Get Out movie. Right, right. Any I'm, other I'm final not thoughts? Anything, I'm not seeing, well, here's the thing. Hold on one second. Bear with okay. me. Bearing. There were just some lines that really jumped out at me. That's oh, where I was oh, going good, next. good, good. Then, uh, then let's do that list. Yeah, I want to run down some lines okay, I really we'll like. we'll do a, like a line of Palooza. You start, and I'll go, and we'll just go down. It's not important that we learn. It's important that the Americans don't learn. I loved it. I almost wrote it down, but I didn't write that one down. Ah. Uh, that's great. Uh, the narrator, in the very beginning, is t- it makes has a little sentence. So he talks about, it's a story about love and the yes. monster that tried to stop it. Oh, you see, that's funny. I didn't like that line. Oh, okay. That to me seemed like such a writerly line that <laughs> as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, he doesn't mean the monster. on He means the monster in us. Right. Yeah. All right. So, okay, uh, fair I'm enough. Sorry. All right. Well, sorry. Eh, that was a lose. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to piss on it. No, no, no. no go ahead. What do, you, what do you have next? Um. Oh, boy. What was the other one? Well, this isn't so much a line as it is an exchange, but... Mm-hmm. When Michael Shannon goes to buy the Cadillac. Yes. I thought of you. Oh, no. When, when he's looking around and the guy, and the guy like throws some, something at him and he's like, ah, I'm just looking. And the guy's like, eh, I'm just talking. That's just like, ah, that's Adam Dooley. I, that's I, Adam Dooley all the way. Hang on a second. I had also flagged a, a line in that scene, in that same part of the conversation, but you've misquoted it. You, you, you're focusing on the response. What he says when he says, can I help you with something? What yeah. What uh, Strickland says is, I'm just idling. 
Yes, is, that's right. Which is what cars do. So I'm going to go ahead and take credit for the setup, and I'm going to take the credit yeah. for the payoff that you gave me because I was you, completely yes. on the edge of my seat for that little exchange. Yes, that's true. Okay, okay. no, you're absolutely right. No, I forgot about that. That right. was a brilliant starting line. There you go. Okay, Next. so I have two here on my list. I'm just going to say that we already covered them. One was about cravings, and the other one was about the fridge full of pie, which isn't a line. When he goes into the restroom with them, where they're cleaning, that makes me so uncomfortable. Where he's going to go in there and do his business, and his whole nonsense about there are guys who wash their hands before and guys who wash their hands after. Holy crap! What an introductory line for a character. Was <laughs> like, damn that. But is she's trying to put balls. towels down on the thing, and she moves his his torture stick. And so while yeah. he's got his hands in the Superman position. Uh, and he's taking his whiz. He sort of is say he throws off over his shoulder to her. He says, "That lovely dingus is an Alabama howdy do." Alabama howdy do. And I almost wonder when he's saying it if he's talking about the the stick on the on the sink or his own. But the <laughs> <laughs> his little yes, that lovely dingus is an Alabama howdy do. So I loved that. I just loved that. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, I you know what? That's surely not. <laughs> coincidental that that that's a brilliantly set up uh but yeah just you know like just guy would do that in front of two women like ah what a piece of shit ah brilliant was he nominated for this because he sure as fuck should have been okay okay. all right so what's yeah i gather he was in a couple of movies this year yeah yeah no no i understand i want to make sure you got the right one (laughs) uh what's next for you that's all. That's all you got. All right. I'm gonna remembering at this moment. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna cruise through a couple more. Uh, we touched it. on it briefly, but just that where he's telling his wife silence and covering his mouth with a hand that she says your hand is bleeding is so yeah, yeah, deeply yeah. disturbing. But I love this because he's interested in silence, and we have this character that doesn't. Speak. Yes. And it made me so scared for her. Yeah. The the, the scene where he's he's. He's harassing her. Check that box. Um, he, yeah, I, I really love the writing of that scene. As despicable as the dialogue is. Right. Where he's like, are you really silent or do you maybe squeal a little? Oh, and then at the squawk. end when she's walking away and he's like, oh, I bet I could make you squeal. Yeah, he uses, no, he uses oh. the word squawk, oh, man. It's so much worse than squeal. No, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What a piece of shit. Um, that's it's so disturbing. Okay, her her speech where she she makes her she makes him say what she's telling him. She makes Richard Jenkins say what she's yeah. saying to him, which is another beautiful yeah, 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 yeah. beautiful way because she doesn't believe he's listening. So you have a reason the character wants it to happen. The real purpose of it is for us to understand what she's signing and not to have to write it all on screen. But it was just a very right. smart way to get that to happen. And, she, and amongst other things she says there is, all that I am, all that I've ever been, brought me here to him. She's trying yeah. to convince him that it's imperative that they save this guy. Yeah. And she says something, I, I would be paraphrasing, that was all I could get where I was like verbatim. But basically she follows that up with saying that he doesn't know what's missing in me. Yeah. Everyone else who I run that, into that's, that's, immediately that, realizes that's the line that that's immediately realizes that I'm incomplete somehow. 
but he doesn't. Yeah. He sees me as full, as complete. And I thought that is such a perfect metaphor because we all feel that way. Even if we're not mute, we all feel broken and wounded and, and twisted in some way. By Sure. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, every character in this movie is an other, yeah. an outsider in some way. Well, even the cleaning lady, even Strickland, the gay, even Strickland who the, desperately wants yeah, to be. Yeah, even you're right, exactly. The, the 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 Russian spy, yeah. the gay man, like everyone Strickland is wants just... to be what's being sold on that cereal box. He wants to be the perfect mm-hmm. dad with the green jello and all this other stuff, only he hates green. Um Right, which as the movie tells us is the color of the future. Right. Yeah. Oh my Which God. is also the color of the key lime pie. And yeah, exactly. And the color of his teal car. <laughs> I have in my notes here. I just have, he's rotting! Exclamation points. Nice. Uh, let me see if it's another, as far as lines are concerned. Oh, where he says, Dennis, yeah, Jenkins says to her, he says, he's like cheering for her. You're so awesome. You're not afraid. I'm so proud of you. And she's like, no, I am afraid. He's like, you are? Don't tell me that. I'm terrified. I just love this yeah. idea that he's cheering for her. And then when he realizes she's just like him, but doing it anyway, to me, that makes her more brave. Yeah. I liked uh, Strickland's exit line. Which was it? <laughs> you are a god. Oh, right. Right. Love it. Um, the uh, last little note here I have that I took while we were while I was watching was just that um, I think it's after the point at which she and he end up together in a, in a loving embrace. Or even before that, before we see them as Richard Jenkins sees them when he opens the door and all the water flies out, there's a scene before yeah. that where we cut away and we don't know what they did, but we assume because she's Correct. smiling the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. color red starts creeping into her wardrobe, red shoes and a red headband. And then hmm. later, once we have seen them in that, you know, where they were in the water together, now she has a red purse and a red coat. Oh, interesting. And eventually she has a bullet hole with a red wound. Yeah. I know what I wanted to ask you about. I know we're trying. we got to wrap this up. And I had a whole other thing I wanted to do, but we won't get to it. We'll just do it next time. Okay. About, uh, what was it I just saw? About Franklin Time. Don't get me started. Anyway. You know how we have that, that kind of debate, the friendly debate of, is Deckard a, uh, a replicant or is he not? Yeah. I believe this movie has a similar, I mean, I, I absolutely think it's, there's something to it. Is she strictly a human being or not? At the beginning or at the end? Well, this this is how the argument lays out. Not in necessarily in chronological order. Her backstory is that as an infant, she was found half in the water and half out of the water and taken yeah. to an orphanage. She has these, these cuts on both sides of her neck. I can't imagine what those would have been from. But the argument is that those were underdeveloped gills gills yeah and the whole movie starts where she's having a dream where she's underwater in that dream where she's underwater she's sleeping she's not in a panic she's perfectly at home she's literally at home in the water that's all that i got from all that was was like it sets it up this is this is someone who dreams of living in comfort in a world of water okay and then later when they say you know, she was found by the river as a as an infant. I'm just thinking to myself, well, that's yeah, that's perfectly in keeping. Like that's a very Faulkner kind of device. Is okay. you know, she's she she's a water like water. She has I got a connection to water her whole life, building okay. up to this moment. I, but I, I didn't take I, I it stumbled. as she was not 
fully human to begin with and has been waiting to be reunited with the river god no i didn't i didn't get that okay i can hear that and this is we're now on i think we're on the reverse of whatever the the blade runner argument is is that i can i can buy all of that except that those scars become gills and how does that happen I mean, okay, he's a god, but that feels a little... You should pardon the expression deus ex machina. Mm. That her body was somehow already set up to have those be useful. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I noticed... It seemed to me we only see those marks on her right side until the very end in the underwater shot and then suddenly they're on the left side and my first thought was oh did they like flip the footage like that's wrong how come no one caught it and then the shot went on for so long i thought okay i must have i must have missed in an earlier shot that she has those identical marks on both sides because it seems About, to yeah. me that mm-hmm. When Strickland points those out, yeah, it seems to me like it would be more natural at that point to say, what exactly happened to you that you got those same marks on both sides of your neck? Not to, and not reference it to just like, how did you get those marks on your neck? Like, right, right. The, the, the symmetry is more unusual than the marks themselves if, gotcha. in fact... They were on both sides of her neck the whole time. Totally understand that interpretation. I will say uh, a couple things to defend it. But one is that the first time we see her and the first time we see those marks, I believe we're looking at her in a mirror. Hmm. And so it's a little unclear to me. About halfway through the movie this time, I said, I turned to my wife and said, does she have those on both sides? She went, oh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Then I missed it. That's fine. Yeah, then I think it's it, kind well, of Well, I mean, like a lot of other things in the movie, it was probably subtle <laughs> in the in the visual reveal. In the presentation. Yeah, yeah. So I I I'm not I'm not holding that against the movie. That's more like, well, I must have I must have been tripping out on something else in the frame <laughs> that moment. Right. So let's do final takes. Well, I'll save Wrinkle in Time for another day. Okay. I, you know, I read the book when I was young, saw the movie, and with some young people, and have some strong feelings about it. Meaning that you went to the theater with young people, or there were young people in the theater when you saw it? Oh, no, it? I went to the theater with people younger than me. I, that's what I thought Somebody... you meant, but I just wanted to <laughs> set that up. Okay. Someone, yeah, both of them, both of them in their, you know, uh, late teens, one having read the book and one having not. And so you had all three versions of people, um, possible choices. Anyway, um, my quick take on this thing is go. If you haven't already, go. I feel like it's a deserving uh, of the accolades it's received. The nominations are also uh, that it didn't win the awards for, but was just nominated for. I think across the awards, it's an achievement. I I would basically agree with that. I think it's a visual masterpiece. It is a beautiful story. It is incredibly well acted. And for all the talking we've done about it, we've really not given Sally Hawkins enough credit because she makes the movie work. She, she really just does an amazing job of conveying facially and bodily without speaking a word. But it's as beautiful and, and haunting and disturbing as a good adult fairy tale can get. 
Wow, that's great. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank you for listening, for sticking with us, for coming back again and again. Uh, for now and until next time. The doctors are back and... <laughs> the doctors are out. I hate technology. <laughs>